0: You're listening to NCG Top 100s, a National Club Golfer podcast. Hello everyone, welcome to the NCG Top 100s podcast. In each episode we try to take you into a virtual clubhouse and get the inside stories about the courses that feature in the ranking lists you can peruse on our website at nationalclubgolfer.com. I'm joined as always by the man ultimately responsible for putting these lists together, NCG Top 100s Chairman Dan Murphy. Welcome Dan.
1: Thank you very much Steve, great to
0: be here again. Today, we're visiting an open championship course, once home to daredevil fighter pilots and prime ministers. It was here in 1932 that Gene Saracen won his only claret jug on the way to becoming the first man to claim the grand slam of winning all four of the modern majors. He did so having invented a club specifically to recover from this course's punitive bunkers. You'll know it now as the sand wedge. But this is not a place that has rested on its laurels. Under the stewardship of today's special guest and the genius of Martin Ebert, it has been renewed and revitalised and its shore, dunes and Himalayas loops are rightly being lauded by all who play them. It can, of course, only be princes and we're thrilled today to be joined by the club's general manager, Rob McGurk. Welcome, Rob. Uh, Thank you, guys. Thanks for the invite. I think if you hadn't visited Princes in a while, uh, there might be parts of it that now look very different. Initially, I think you envisaged a project that transformed the Himalayas loop. So, could you give us a bit of the background into that, and then tell us how it's metamorphosed into the huge project it's now become?
2: Yeah, so uh, we we looked at the Himalayas as it was it was separate from Shore Dunes, and we we host a lot of RNA events here. They tend to stay on the shore dune side of the course mainly because it's separated and himalayas is the is known as the members nine it's got, it's got a lot of character but a lot of people when they ring up they just said i don't want to play the little course out the back and we always felt that it has so much potential and uh, we looked at a number of architects uh, who we would bring in to to, to sort of reimagine the himalayas we did our research, we went and played a couple of the courses, but ultimately Martin Ebert was the man who seems to look after most of the Lynx courses in the UK. Alistair Beggs, who at the time worked for STRI, he really sort of he said he's the he's the person for princes. So we took the standpoint, spoke to my father that we wanted to upgrade it. We looked at other other courses, we looked at the land and we thought we could take her down a, a numerous amounts of trees, we had open sand areas, wetlands. We tried to to sort of incorporate a bit of everything into it and to differentiate ourselves from the two courses alongside us, St George's and Deal, which are absolutely outstanding golf courses, but we wanted to be slightly different. So we gave Martin a blank canvas to go and work his magic, really.
1: Rob, can we just go back to um, um, a little bit earlier than that? Can you just um, explain to to our audience... um, when um, your involvement with princes and indeed that of your families uh, goes back to, just just so we understand where you came into the picture. My
2: father was buying uh, land around Sandwich, sort of industrial units, in the mid-70s. And he was approached by uh, a gent who was finding these little patches of industrial areas and said there's there's 200 acres of land on the seafront with... No development opportunities, but there might be an opportunity uh, in future for hotels and other bits and pieces on the land. He hadn't restarted really playing golf by then, so he uh, he came down, had a look at it, went back, realised it had hosted an Open, saw the potential in it, and in a year, sort of 18 months later, he managed to 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 get the the purchase over the line. So we then owned the course from 1976. Uh, so for 45 years, nearly now, um, and it's uh, yeah, it's, it's it's very much part of the family. I mean, through the 70s and 80s, it, it hosted final qualifiers and other bits and pieces. Then into the 90s, we started looking at planning permissions to build the turn the, the clubhouse where uh, where it was then into a, into a hotel and move the the clubhouse down to where it is now, so we could have the opportunity of using all three start points, which is very important. Uh, to us now having that availability it took quite a while to get the lodge over the line Um, numerous years of going backwards and forwards. it's it's in a triple SI site so it's not the easiest place to get planned permission we had to use the existing footprint we couldn't go outside of that so then uh, for those guys who have visited we got huge rooms and these every single room is is set by where the windows are so the original windows basically you couldn't go outside of that so uh, and it, it it's proved to be really popular. Um, there's not many golf courses in the UK with accommodation on them that are, are by the sea. So uh, it, we've been very fortunate, especially less than two hours from London. Once the lodge sort of took off and established itself, it, it, we thought, what, what what can we do next? What's the next big step for us? And hence why we started looking at the golf course. As, as I mentioned earlier, we spoke to, sorry, Dan, do you want to say?
1: Yeah, I was, I was going to ask you um, to, to what extent, if any, the golf course um, had changed between your arrival in the, in the mid 70s um, and the beginning of this project um, five years ago.
2: So it, we we changed it, changed the bunkering back in 2008. That was the last, that was the first time we'd really tinkered with it at all from the original design. Uh, well, from the, the mid 1950s when um, Mr. Bridgeland had it. Uh, we took in EGD, Gary Johnson came down and he did some work on the bunkering where we positioned them on the fairways. The problem is in the 50s, the bunkers hadn't changed at all. With the modern equipment, they were almost, uh, they weren't in play. I mean, people were just blowing it straight past them. So Gary came down, he he did a really good job actually in, in relocating bunkers so that we could catch up with the modern golf ball, really, and the modern, modern clubs. Um and that that was that was very well received, but it wasn't an overall revamp like we've we've had over the last of four years.
1: My understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that you is, is that it was one of those one of those things that once you started doing the work, you then realised um, the potential, I guess, um, and and also it made you realise how much more could be done, as in the you know that you could extend um, uh, and go further on. So when you think back now to the golf course as it was ten years ago. Uh, and what you have now, uh, how would you compare? Um, because obviously for a lot of people, when they think of Princes, they will still think of what was there 10 years ago, because perhaps the last time they saw it. I mean, it's it's
2: unrecognisable. I mean, we've, we've changed every single hole on the golf course. And once we, as you, as you rightly say, when, once you start, you're not sure where it's going to take you. But when, we, when, when the Himalayas was completed, it took us best part of the year to, to go through those works. It was significant worse. We took down four to 500 trees. We put in four or five wetlands, two brand new holes pretty much, but it was so well received that it almost looked a little bit out of place with the main, well, not the main 18, it was main 18 then. So we we thought, right, we'll speak to Martin and just see if we can sort of create that look throughout shore dunes, but not with quite as uh, as many sort of wetland features. We Wetlands on the Himalayas were almost forced upon us. It's lower lying. We had drainage problems. A number of the fairways were sat within duneland, so they, they collected too much water, hence why we, we built wetlands, really. Shore dunes, we want to be a little bit more traditional links like um, a golf course, so we tended to concentrate more on the sand scrapes there and the bunker in tee positions. So it, the, the Himalayas of blended in, but not quite as aggressively as uh, with the wetland features
0: was it um, a more difficult decision to make those dramatic changes than we might think it is because i mean clearly you're tinkering with something aren't you that's got a lot of history behind it and there's for all the accolades you'll get there'll always be some purists as well who perhaps would have preferred it the way it was was it was it a more difficult decision then to embark on those really transformative changes it, it
2: wasn't really, if I'm completely honest. I think if you set out on a on a journey like this, you've got to commit to it and and do it properly, not half, not in half. So Martin, we we'll talk about him a little bit later. He he had so much information from back in the, in the nineteen, in the early days when we first opened through before the war. So we had lots of pictures of the old course, aerial photos where we could see the huge sand scrapes. We could see the Half and half bunkers, which are really unusual, half revetted, half rough style. Um, so we we were very confident in what we were doing was almost bringing it back in time, but also helping us sort of combat the modern equipment. So with with the with the position of the bunkers, so a lot of the features we brought back in were there back in 1907, 1908 when the Open was here. The huge open sand areas. We got pictures of guys walking through with their clubs with their caddies. We've got pictures of um, horse and carriages building the bunkers with with the men in there with spades cutting into the faces. So we were very confident what we were doing was the right thing to do. We didn't didn't hesitate at all. But we have made little mistakes like you will do. And we've gone back in this winter, especially on the Himalayas, there's areas that didn't quite work. We've gone back in and uh, and rectified that with Martin.
1: uh, Are you trying to create three nines that each have their own um, individual character um or are you more concerned with trying to make princes into 27 uh, well th- three interchangeable nines like is, is it important that they stand apart from each other or is it um, is it a virtue um that, that that they can be melded together and it doesn't really matter
2: no we want all three nines to be thought of as the same and we want championships on all three nines um 10 years ago nobody would play the himalayas now it's our most sought after course it's the one everybody wants to play um I mean you've, you've you've played it, so you've you've seen the changes, but again it's changed since then. We've we've changed three four uh three, yeah, three, four, six, seven, eight, nine has completely changed since you've last played it. And we've actually brought in some of the old open championship features as well with with uh, especially on nine Himalayas. We have put the open championship tee now in and dug out the Himalaya bunkers. It's an amazing hole now, complete almost ninety degree dog leg. Filled in the wetlands on eight, made it into a huge sand area. So little things like that have I think it's, it's stood it apart, but we want them all to be the same, all thoughts the same. Some someone doesn't come down and goes, I just want to play that nine, I want to play that eighteen. We want them all to be used
1: equally. Could, could, you, could you just share share with with, with the audience the, the, the exact routine that was used in the nineteen thirty-two open, just to, to to set it into perspective?
2: Well, 90, so we <laughs> I mean, our course was very much like St. George's back in them days. So we used to play across the duneland never went the same way twice zigzagged all over the place so you think that one the, big bit of land at Prince is over 200 acres with 18 holes sat in it I mean for instance the first hole you teed off off the new putting green at the lodge to the seventh of the shore green so you went almost over the over the the uh, the sixth fairway then from then you went back to the right again and back over to the left of the second of June green and back to the eighth of june it was very very much all over the place in some ways it'd be nice to have got those get those t positions back out there for a bit of fun and recreate those that course which i think i think my father would probably have a have a breakdown if i started going down that route but we looked at it with martin definitely um looking at bringing the old holes back in hence why we did nine shore but it was very different then i mean a course went went all over the place. And, and as you probably know, Prince's was built to combat the Haskell ball. Basically, that was, it was brought in. That's it's one of the longest championship courses at the time. It's 7,000 yards, even in the 1930s. So it was a it was a brilliant test of golf and one of the best courses in the country. And it, it, as we go through uh, the sort of the 30s, 40s, it got decimated uh, during the, the Second World War. Mr. Bridgeland took it over in the 50s. He didn't like Blind shots didn't like having bunkers in the middle of fairways, hence why everything was played within the dunes and the bunkers were sat along the side of the fairways. And we wanted to get away from that really, and hence why we brought Martin in. Mm.
1: Uh, And just before we get on to uh, Martin, just one last question about championships. Uh, Do you have um, uh, some kind of championship rotation that you have in your mind? Uh, So, in other words, uh, an eighteen holes. that, that is picked out from across the three nines that you think would deliver the the ultimate uh, prince's test. Yeah, you know, we get asked that a lot,
2: and it's it, it's it's really difficult because my favourite hole is the hardest one to get into a rota- get into a rotation, which is the fifth of June's. It's set out in the towards the fourteenth of Saint George's. It's hard to get to it. You'd almost have to change a couple of holes or tee positions to, to almost fit it in um so we have looked at it a number of occasions we've tried to work it out i think i think a composite course it's not something i would really want to go down that route because if you had guests and visitors down they say i don't want to play the 27 holes i want to play three holes in the dunes six holes in the himalayas and then and then nine holes in the shore it just it's difficult but i'm sure we'll do it one day <laughs>
1: okay so let, let's talk about um the, um the the ebay experience so um i mean I think everyone's familiar um with with work of of Mackenzie ebert, um and even if possibly some people don't realize they are just because of the uh, the profound influence they've had on our top courses um, over the last what uh, well ten years in particular, I guess, working on several courses on the open rotor for a start. um c- can you just explain what it is that uh, well, I know it's Martin who's do, who you work very closely with. C- can you explain? What it is that Martin brings to a project, uh, uh, and what it's like to work with. Now, I appreciate he's not here to defend himself, but uh, <laughs> it'd be nice to have some insight um, on on how he works. Uh, do you know what he is? He's very laid back.
2: He is very thorough, but he's very stubborn. So he he if he sees something that's going to work, you won't you wouldn't be able to change his mind on it. So, for instance, I mean, Mike Howard, who's his number two, is very influential here as well. He did a great job. I mean, second on the Himalayas, I could have stood there for the rest of my life and not turn that into a par five. Would never have seen that. You, we all think we're amateur architects I and mean, we we've played all these great courses. We take pieces away from them. Never have seen that, and it's such an improvement. But it, it took a while. Dad, my father was really, really against that. He loved the second of the Himalayas green trying everything to get away from them doing it, and in the end Martin kept saying this is the right thing to do to get the path three in down the bottom end of the course so he, he's if he thinks it's right you, you you can't sway him and to be honest he's he's been so good to work with we've thoroughly enjoyed it from the process of him presenting all the plans to us he does all the research in the background he had RAF photos from during the war showing us the fairways from above so we could see all the sand areas we could see all the old bunkers we could see the T positions one thing he really has has changed here was the size of the greens. Back in the 30s, the greens at Princess were huge, mm. and we lost that during the Second World War. And then after the Second World War, fuel becomes a problem. Greenkeepers then start growing the greens in, surrounds start growing in, and you you don't have the runoffs. Um, and that's one thing he really focused on was growing the the, the areas around the greens. The pool never. Stayed close to the green. It ran off, and the reason for that, he wanted to try and get players to use every club in their bag around the green, whether it was a lob shot or a, or a hybrid or a chip and run. He wanted to give them lots, of, or a putt. Want to give them lots of options. So he was, he was really keen on getting the green sites back to how, they were back in the, when we were first created. So uh, you know he's very, very thorough, and uh, yeah, thoroughly enjoyed working with. Him.
1: Um, tell me was there a moment um, when he was in the process of um, doing Himalayas where the the family had some sort of a conference and, uh, and looked at each other and said we've got a bit of a problem here because seeing what this guy's done with the Himalayas we can't now leave Shore and out. we're going to have to get stuck into those as well oh, i know well it was funny we we
2: sort of had we let it settle for the first sort of 3 or 4 months after it opened and it was almost a family conference to be fair and we we sat there and we said it's been such a success we should really look at Shaw dunes and i went to my father and i spoke about it with him and he said just find out what it's going to cost how long it's going to take how much disruption you're going to have because the himalayas was really disruptive we were it was it was pandemonium down there for three or four months and we went to martin and come up with all the plans, all the costs, and he's to be honest, he's let us dads let us get on with it. Um, he trusts Martin implicitly, no problems at all.
1: So, if you were to describe the the golf either as a whole or in terms of the three nines now to somebody, um, say who hasn't been for some time, um, what would you describe as the as, as the characteristics of um, uh, of Prince's? What what, what are people going to find when, when they come to see you?
2: Well, I think they'll find a very playable links course. Um, with lots of character great green complexes bit of risk and reward so a little bit of fun it's not a consistent slog there's not a lot of deep rough anymore because the sand areas have made a huge difference in pace of play so people don't get frustrated losing their balls um so they're just i think they a really fun relaxing experience and it's challenging it's an open championship golf course or has been in the past uh, I think it's 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 very very fair, and they'll, in, they'll enjoy the experience.
0: How do you think the elite players um, will will cope with the new test? Obviously, you've got regional and final qualifying for the Open this year. I know it's just looking on the website that um, you're the only you're the only course at the moment that's completely full. Um, for regional qualifying, all 280 uh, spots full. So um, people are obviously very, very keen to go and to go and see what it's like. Um, how do you think it will test those really elite players?
2: Do you know, it all comes down to the wind. It, it, with all Lynx courses, I, mean, I remember two years ago, um, final qualifying, and the first hour was just not a breath. And everybody is three, four under after six holes and we're, we're going to get hammered here and then suddenly it started getting up and it started getting up and and, and it got to a two club win three club wind, and then suddenly eight under gets in and you're looking in the morning you think it's gonna be it could be 14 under but the wind the wind that is only defense really for all links courses now i think these these guys are so good you you, you can make them as long as you like it doesn't matter um you, you need the wind here so I, I would think if we if we get a two club wind, I think that'd be a really good test for everybody. Any more than that, it becomes it becomes tricky.
1: And for for anyone coming down to um, the sandwich area, um, can you just describe how, um, how how you would put together the ideal um, couple of days uh, in your part of the world? When when should they come, um, and what what's the best order to play the courses in? So if you
2: were coming down here, I would. I would look to come down on a Sunday afternoon, play Princes on a Sunday, stay overnight with us, obviously, <laughs> play St. Ports on a Monday, play St George's on a Tuesday. And uh, that, I think that's a trip that is pretty hard to beat in the UK. Um, Any time really from May to mid-October is a great time for us here. It um, tends to be quite cold down here in April. We don't really have the growth, um, but May, May through to mid-October is really, really good. But you get some great days in the winter. We, we we have had a package in the past. It's difficult at the moment as our neighbours have got the open, where you can play all three courses in the in the in the winter. And winter golf and links courses is, if you get the right weather, it's it's, it's unbeatable really. And so is the value in 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 playing that time of year. So I would I would aim for sort of mid May through to end of October, or take your chances on a on a winter on a winter trip.
1: Yeah, winter trip's a great show. And just for for, for those who don't know the area um, intimately, just to make clear that the the, th- the three courses uh, are almost contiguous. I mean, you're almost going from one onto the next, so you're not going to have to go very far. Uh, base yourself in, in the lodge at Prince's. Um, absolutely unbelievable um, trip uh, trip for the ages. Um, Rob, yeah, just before to, you like, go, just, just sorry, just we actually on.
2: play an event called the Hagen Trophy. I don't know if you've heard of this, but we tee off the in well, we do it slightly differently now. We tee off the first hole at Deal. The sixes, we go around to eleven at Deal, then we go to the six at St George's, play around over the fence at Prince's, and all the way back round in one day. Uh, Walter Hagen did it back in the day, and uh, a member at Royal Sinkport's, he put together this this tournament about ten years ago. It's, it's so much fun with the three courses, but that's how
1: close they are. Wow, I didn't know that. No, that sounds amazing. Yeah. And it, we, we just have one last thing to ask you, um, um, Rob. As you know, here at NCG Top 100s, we're, uh, we're about to refresh our um, England list. And I just wondered, and I'm just going to put you on the spot here. Um, so obviously excluding princes, you're not allowed to, uh, to say princes. I wonder if you could just give us your top three golf courses uh, in England. Um, the, so the, the the three that you would um, uh, most like to go and play uh, this summer if you had the chance. Okay,
2: so my, my favourite course in England is Royal St George's. Which is odd, as it's my neighbour, but I, I think it's just phenomenal. The fact that it you never go the same way twice, you always fight in the wind. Uh, it's got everything: quirk, uh, great green complexes, blind shots. I just think it's amazing. The next course I would, I'm desperately looking forward to going back to is Swinley Forest. I just absolutely adore that place. It's one of my favourites. Um, their director of golf, is actually a member here, uh, Stuart, but it's just, I think it's brilliant, the whole experience there. And the third course, which I'm looking forward to playing for the first time this year, is Royal Lytham. I've never played it before, so that would probably be my third course. That's um, a little bit links heavy, I'm a bit biased, obviously, but um, they're the three courses which I would have on my, my list for this year.
1: Yeah, well, I couldn't really argue too much with that, and, um, and uh, as you say, that you know, the some wonderful links golf in England, um, but clearly inland golf is um, is also a real strength um, in England in a way that it probably isn't in the uh, in the other home nations. So um, so very nice to reflect uh, an inland course in there. Well, Rob, um, we very much appreciate your time um, this morning, um, and I think that um, golfers everywhere will just thank the, what you and your family have done in bringing back um, a, a venue like Prince's and giving it, uh, well, it's a, it's a completely new lease of life. And um, I would just encourage all golfers uh, to go and take a look for themselves. Um, I'm pretty confident that they'll uh, they enjoy it. So uh, all, all the very best um, for, the, for, the, for the summer, and we hope to see you um, in July um, in Open Week. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Dave. And you
0: can view all of our ranking lists by clicking onto our website, nationalclubgolfer.com, and heading over to the NCG Top 100s banner thanks for joining us on NCG Top 100's podcast. We look forward to seeing you again soon.